Hey, my name is Akash Thakar, and this is Sound Business. This is the podcast where we dive into the mindsets and methods of some of the top musicians, sound designers, or audio creators in the world. We're going to interview everyone from plugin makers, performing musicians, video game composers, and everything in between, and learn how they run a successful business and how they're making a killer living in the worlds of music and sound. My hope with this podcast is that you can be exposed to the many myriad different ways there are to make a killer living in the worlds of music and sound, and help you realize that there's no one right way to get to the top. And with that, let's get into the episode. My guest today is Dr. Fabiana Clore. Fabiana is an award-winning pianist, educator, business strategist, and entrepreneur who occupies a great niche in between music, business, and helping other musicians make a great living from their art. She's also the CEO of the Musician's Profit Umbrella, which teaches musicians how to make a great living off of their skills and knowledge in their field. In this episode, we talk about the struggles that most musicians deal with and how to get through them, especially the business struggles what business skills actually are, and how to start developing the mindset of an entrepreneur as a musician. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Dr. Fabiana Clore. So one question I have for you is the idea of business skills, because we're all told business skills are important, but we don't know what they are. There's no one definition of that. So to you, for a musician, what would you say business skills ultimately even are? Well, the good news is that musicians are naturally inclined business people, even though they may not consider themselves. The actual earliest definition of an entrepreneur, I don't know if you know that, is actually one who puts up musical performances. Like That's the earliest definition of an entrepreneur because musicians have historically needed to be self-initiators. They've had to create opportunities for themselves. They've had to be producers and that they've had to make things happen. Uh, They've had to be savvy fundraisers and marketers in the sense that there were no managers when, you know, Mozart and Bach and Beethoven, like they were, there was no one to do the job for the musicians. It only became later part of the culture of celebrities where little by little, the role of the artist was distanced from the business person and somehow became part of the common notion. But actually the earliest definition of the word entrepreneur is from the Oxford English Dictionary of Music and These were defined as people who put musical performance together. So there's a reason for that and that musicians need to be able to adapt, to pivot, to be uh, willing to embrace the unknown and to take risks. And these are all natural qualities that as musicians we have to uh, get used to basically in order to perform, in order to become masterful at our instrument and our craft. And yet in business, it's the exact same qualities. Entrepreneurs need to be able to take risks. They need to be able to see opportunities and go after them and make them happen. In many ways, they're also against the norm, right? There's like the personality of an entrepreneur is also many times not commonly understood, perhaps by others, right? So I think there's a lot of similarities. And when as musicians, we start seeing that, that not only was the earliest definition of an entrepreneur one who puts up musical performances, but in fact, we have transferable skills from what we've learned to become musicians that can easily be applied to the world of business, that they're not separate. They're very much together. I really love sharing that. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's so true that we as musicians do need to be self-starters. We need to be really thoughtful about all these different moving parts to what we do. But I see more and more as time goes on a kind of disconnect or even a dislike of all those moving parts. A lot of musicians will say, I just want to write the music. I don't want to think about branding or marketing and all that sort of stuff. What do you tell musicians who are in that headspace? 
I get it. First of all, I understand because I'm a musician myself and it is not easy to go back and forth. We have to immerse ourselves to a degree of focus and creativity to excel at our craft, whether we write music, whether we produce music, whether we perform and are trying to improve our skills to be ready to stand on stage and perform in front of an audience, develop that inner confidence. There's a reason why we call it a craft, right? Because it requires repetition, it requires polishing, it requires focus. It requires also an element of of spaciousness and reflection, right? It's not just working hard. We need to be looking at what we're doing and self-discovering where are the areas of improvement and what needs to be done better. It's not about practicing eight hours a day in the practice room. There needs to be that moment of pause and reflection. And so for that, we have to be in a headspace of serenity, of peace, and of just undivided attention to our craft. And so I understand why in many instances as creatives, we may resist the notion of kind of coming down from that world into the real world in order to learn about how to make money and how to create a business and how to market ourselves. I can totally understand. And what I can say to that is that the more we are interested in being able to stay in that beautiful artistic state of being, the more we're passionate about being able to fulfill our artistry and achieve that self-realization and creative fulfillment in our lives, the more important it is for us to be artists, the more we need to be willing to accept and embrace the fact that we need to self-initiate our prosperity. We need to be the initiators of our financial future, and we need to be willing to design our life according to our vision for what we want versus think that if we just focus on the artistic side and we're really good at that, that somehow we're going to get discovered by someone and someone is going to give us that financial stability and someone is going to give us that security and we're going to basically be rescued somehow by someone who's going to just fall in love with us or by many people who are going to become fans and I feel like there's a disconnect in that assumption. And so that causes many artists and creatives to think that all they need to do is focus on becoming really good. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm all for achieving excellence. And I I believe that that's important. But I also believe that those musicians who are able to become financially stable and prosperous and, and design their lives intentionally versus by default are the ones that actually end up being able to be in their creative space the longest are able to bring in incredible works of art into the world and are able to make an impact through their work because they have the means to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree because if we don't focus on that stuff, we can't do the art because we'll be struggling in so many other ways that nothing can really even come from it. So was there a light bulb moment for you that made you realize all of this? Or was it always kind of inborn or did you kind of, oh, I actually have to be focusing on this business stuff on top of the music. When did that happen? How did it happen? Absolutely. Most of my career, I was just focused on being the best musician that I could be. All of my degrees are in piano performance, leading up to a doctorate degree in piano performance. So that was everything that was on my mind, piano performance. (laughs) And, you know, as I said, it was necessary to a certain extent for me to get to that point in my life and be able to get my education all under full scholarships and really be able to travel around the world and perform and 
just have an incredible academic trajectory up until that point. But towards the end of my degree, like I did all the degrees. There were no more degrees left. Like I couldn't keep going to school, right? There was it. There was like I did a master's. I did two bachelors. I did an artist certificate, a doctorate. Degree. Like that was it. I even got two years of a postdoctorate certification program to become a, an examiner for the Royal Conservatory of Music in Canada. Mm. Like I did all the degrees. There was no shortage of studying. But what was not coming in was the money, right? I had all the degrees, but no money. So towards the end of my doctoral degree, not surprisingly, coming through academia, what I was mostly ingrained in terms of what was the next path was to stay in academia. Like you get out of academia as a fast student, and then you're thinking, now I have to go into academia as a faculty. Like that's the next logical step. Most people that go through this amount of education can't conceive themselves outside of the school, basically, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. So. Towards the end of my degree, that's what I thought was my next path. It's like, oh, I guess I'm going to be a, a, a faculty at some university, and I'm going to just have to look for someone to hire me. But the problem was my husband was also a concert pianist. He was also getting a doctorate degree in piano performance. We had studied all our degrees together. We'd been together at that point for like 20 years or so. And so we needed the two of us a job. And so it was really difficult to find it still is a faculty position right as after graduating because the amount of people who graduate with doctoral degrees versus the amount of faculty openings like the, the correlation doesn't add up it's very 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 low statistics of getting a full-time faculty position at a university so we realized it was going to be hard for the two of us to get two full-time jobs in the same university with the same position and so that's when we decided you know what maybe it's time we start looking at other ways but we didn't know what those other ways were going to be so we attended a, a Music Teachers National Association conference in Albuquerque back in 2010, and they were talking about a problem that music students had and how American students in particular were very unprepared to enter university programs. So most of the people who earned full scholarships like we had came from an international background. They had studied internationally and that most American students really lacked that level of proficiency to be competitive. And so on the way back, from this conference that we were talking about many other different things and roundtables, discussions. My husband was born and raised in Cuba, and I was born in the U.S., but I studied in Bolivia and in Cuba. So we had this international background in terms of our training, and we could relate to our shop when we arrived to the United States back in 2001. And the level of education that we saw at the university, which is where we arrived, like the freshman people were learning major and minor triads, and we were like, what is this a university? They're just learning such basic foundational things in theory. And we had been, you know, playing the piano for many years at that point. We were shocked. We we're like, how is this possible? But now we understand because most incoming freshmen don't really have a strong curriculum in terms of musical training, theory training, etc. So on our way back home, my husband said, you know, maybe, maybe we can solve this problem by creating a school. I mean, we know what the curriculum should look like. And we've seen it through all these universities that we've been in. All of the students that are on full scholarships like we were, were always international students. So that's where the idea came up. But of course, the next question was, how? <laughs> like, yeah, but how, right? Like, sounds good as an idea, but how on earth would we create a school? Like, who knows? And so it just kind of sat on our, on our minds, like that would be a cool idea, but we had no idea how to build a business. I remember just looking at him being like, that sounds cool. And then turning back and looking at the window and the plane as it was about to depart and feeling so like lost, like how on earth would we do that? Right. 
And so a few months passed and um, my husband and I had won competitions in the university back to back, the concerto competition, which is like a, an annual competition where all these per- performers compete for being a soloist with the orchestra. So the re- the year prior, I had won it with the Rachmaninoff first piano concerto, and I got to play with the orchestra. And then the following year, my husband won it with the Rachmaninoff second piano concerto. So it was awesome. And we had these friends from Texas who flew to Miami and attended both concerts. They were like amazing friends, and they still are, and fans, basically. And they flew in. One of them was an accountant and a business person, a really savvy business person. And he asked us, you know, this is great. You guys are doing all this amazing performing. You're winning competitions. You're killing it. But what are you going to do pretty soon? Like you're about to end your doctorate degree. And then we said, well, we're thinking about this idea. We just don't know how to do it, but it sounds like it could be cool. And when he came back to Texas, he found in a magazine, this article that talked about our university and that they had a business incubator program called the Launchpad that helped the students at the university build businesses. So he wrote to us in an email. He said, guys, did you know that your university actually has a business incubator program? that works with students and alumni and helping them build their businesses. And it was literally a five minute walk from the practice rooms, but we had never visited the the spot because we were never outside of the music school. We were always in the same, just music, music, music. So we took this five minute walk. We went there, we applied, we explained what we wanted to build. You know, we want to create a school. We have no idea how to go about it. And then they started nurturing us and coaching us and guiding us over several months. And that started to develop a new sense of possibility. They started showing us the step-by-step of like, here's step one. What do you need? How much money do you need to raise? What are the different steps? Little by little, they started guiding us in how to build a business. They threw us into a competition. First of all, I did a pitch competition. I had to talk about an elevator pitch and present that. Then I did a business plan competition and we won all these awards. Little by little, we started gaining confidence that we could actually do it. And so a few months after that, we actually did this competition. We won second prize and all the other competitors were MBA students. So we were the only musicians from the music school where all the other competitors were MBA. And yet somehow we managed to win second prize, best entrepreneurial spirit award and best written business plan. We raised almost $10,000. We got some investors on board. We got support from the community and we decided to open our business to create our school. This is 11 years ago now. And since then, it's been a journey of going through multiple experiences inside our business and outside. After five years of running the program, I accepted a position in Texas to create their music business program. And we actually restructured our school so that it would run without us there. So we moved to Texas. And for the last six years now, we've been running the school remotely, profitably. So that also gave us a new idea of like what it's like to build a business that could also potentially run one day without you. And in the last two years, in addition to the work I was doing at the university, helping musicians build businesses, I started my online coaching program that's now called the Musician's Profit Umbrella, where I expanded everything I was doing inside academia into helping musicians all around the world build their businesses. And since last year, I decided to take the leap of faith and let go of that university job, as shocking as it may have sounded to most of my colleagues who thought I was crazy from stepping away from that, because again... All you hear about when you're going through education is like, this is the gold standard, right? And yet here I was walking away from it after five years because I really felt that it was too much. It was taking too much on my plate. I didn't want to continue being burned out. And now since the last year, I've been 100% building my online business and helping musicians create five and six figure leaps by packaging their skills into an online 
music business. It was an epiphany that led to many incredible breakthroughs. I love that. There's so many nuggets to dive into there. But one thing I want to kind of hone in on is you mentioned, you know, working remotely now and making it so that that part of your business runs on its own. When a lot of people run a business, either they're solo freelancers or they're hiring employees, wherever they kind of fall in that spectrum, they tend to work more hours and have more burnout than if they're working for somebody else or doing the standard thing. What do you feel is happening there when they are going down that path? Oh, and I went down that path too. Like, let's start by saying it, you know, the way it is. The reason why I started to feel that I needed to do things better after five years of running my business was precisely because me and my husband were doing everything in the business. We were teaching piano full time. We were recruiting faculty, managing our teachers, managing the administration of the business, managing the, 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 even the books, much to the dismay of our CPA who kept telling us year after year, why are you guys still doing the bookkeeping? We would clean the academy. We did everything. We did literally everything for the business. And of course, after we had our first son, like three years after having our school, we had our first son. We call him our second son because our school is called Superior Academy of Music and the, <laughs> the acronym is SAM. So we always joke that our first child was our school. And that then came our first son. We always say you're the second one, you're not the first one. Anyway, after we had our first son, we realized we can't keep doing it this way. We can't keep running our business like this. We need to now make space for our baby and like managing that. So that was the first wake up call where we realized like by force, I think these things happen by force. I think as human beings, we are naturally wired to stay doing the same things if they work and it ain't broken, as they say, don't fix it. So we just keep, keep, keep until we just burn ourselves out. So when we have these pattern interrupts with like life events, decisions that make us have to do things better because we have no choice, like having a kid, like taking on a job somewhere else where you have to delegate the school, like having these situations where we just have no choice but to become more efficient, that helps because we realize, wow, like, I didn't have to work so hard. After all, it didn't need to be that many hours, right? And so I would say if anyone here listening is feeling burned out, and I see this a lot in the clients that I work with, that they think they need to do more in order to achieve lifestyle freedom, that they need to get either more clients or do more in order to get better results, I would actually say the answer is the opposite. The answer is less doing less, but doing more of the things that matter. Understanding that in life, we have a variety of things that come and go, like money comes and goes, people come and go. What we never can get back of is our time. Our time is our only non-renewable resource. We won't get our time back. So any decisions that you can make for your business that revolve around you winning back your time, even if it means letting go of some aspects of what you do in your business, releasing that control, even if it means taking a step back and having to create systems and procedures, which I know isn't that cool. A lot of people don't want to do that. They just prefer just keep doing it themselves. But I can tell you from my own experience, I mean, if I wouldn't have understood this principle, there's no way I would have been able to keep a business going in Florida while I lived in Texas. And in fact, when my husband took over the administration, because for the first five years, I was mainly administrating and he was helping more with the on-site things, et cetera. And when I took on this full-time job at the university, I told him, okay, now here's what you're going to do. Here's how we're going to be doing these things. And he gave it a whole new spin. 
he changed a lot of the procedures. He optimized them. He did a lot of new things. And when we met with our faculty and we told them, hey, we're moving to Texas. Don't worry. Like, everything's okay. You're going to still do what you need to do. Here's how we're going to do things from now on. Many of them were like, this is so much better than before. <laughs> this is so much more <laughs> efficient. How come we haven't been doing it all these years, you know? So necessity is the mother of innovation. And sometimes our greatest challenges in life are our biggest opportunities to do things for the better, because unless we're faced with these challenges, we're just going to stay in our lane. You know what I mean? Even if it's not in our best interest, we're naturally inclined to play it safe. You know, so my recommendation is if you're feeling burned out and you're thinking, my gosh, why does this have to be so hard? The good news is that just like you got yourself in this position, you can get yourself out of it if you have the right strategy. And if you start seeing things from a different perspective. And you start simply asking yourself, how can I get back my time? Like, what can I do just to win back my time? Even if you don't know what to do with that new time. Like, that's actually a problem that I see a lot. Many times my clients, when they start working with me, I see that they're doing all these things. And then when we free that up and we show them delegation systems and strategies for taking things off their plate, the new time they have, they start spending it poorly. They start wasting it again. They get themselves into this vicious cycle of like, I'm now going to learn how to do this thing. And it's like, no, no, you shouldn't be focusing on this. You have all this time. These are the things you need to be really focusing on. It's all about elevating your thinking each and every time. Uh, it's not just about winning back your time. It's about knowing what to do with that time. So I think a lot of this has to be with you having that time to think, time to reflect. Just, just like we talked about in our musical craft, like we don't just repeat the, the passage 10 times without thinking and reflecting. We have to always go back, give ourselves that space and think about what needs to be done better. Same thing in business. You can't just be working, 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 working. You've got to have time to take a step back and reflect on what you're doing and whether or not it's leading you to the results and how can you do things better each and every time. Hmm. Awesome. Beautiful. Now, a lot of people I'm sure were like, yeah, all right, like really nodding their heads along with that. There's also the other side of, you know, feeling imposter syndrome when it comes to running something like this, because there's this line of knowing when am I able to share, teach, run a business around what I know, right? Do you need that PhD before you start getting into it? Like, where is that line and how do you kind of think about it? Especially with your clients when they're coming to you saying like, okay, I want to free up my time. I'm doing all these delegation systems. Am I in the right spot or are they not advanced enough yet? Big air quotes on that. How do you kind of advise them? I love that question. And it's one that actually, it's interesting because I can say most of my clients did not come to me because of my PhD. They did not come to me because of that. Now, it doesn't hurt to have a PhD, a DMA in my case. I've got a doctor in musical arts. But when I, when I reflect on that with my clients, when they're asking me, oh, but I don't have this, but I don't have that. I need this. I need that. I, just, I simply ask them, like, did you come to me because of my degrees? And they're like, well, not really. I mean, and then I, that immediately reminds them that there's a human aspect behind what we do that is always going to be at the forefront of our brand. Like, this is about personal brand building. This is not about what you do. This is about who you are. And when you discover that people are going to come to you because of your belief systems, because of your values, because of your story, and then because of the things you're good at, that's when everything changes and the opportunity opens up for us because we realize, oh, I don't need to do all these things to prove myself. Like, I just need to understand what is it about me in this stage of my life that makes me unique. 
that gives me a unique skill set. And that this doesn't mean I can't continue growing, but it, it means that I'm already amazing. Like when you start really understanding that you are amazing, you have gifts, you have experiences, and you have a lot of value to offer others, all of a sudden you take all this pressure off because you're like, now I can help. And, and yes, there will be people ahead of me and there will be people a few steps behind me. And we're all in a journey together. And it's not me and them, but it's all of us. And you just understand that the idea behind building your brand, creating your authority, whatever you want to call it, your thought leadership, is simply you tapping into your experiences, understanding your story, understanding how that has brought you to where you are, what are the obstacles that you've had to overcome, whether they're related to music or anything else, and being willing to say, you know, this is who I am. This is my experience. This is my journey. This is what I love helping people do. And showing up always from a place of true authenticity and genuine service, like really wanting to help. And when you show up in this way, people really are drawn to you. You know, they want to connect with you. Yes, they want to benefit from your gifts, from your skill sets, but they're going to come to you not for that first. That's not going to be the entry point. The entry point is going to be your personality, your charisma, your message, your energy, your story. The human element of you is what's going to really draw people to you. And then you can serve them with your gifts. So when you realize that, everyone has a story. Everyone has gifts. Everyone has things that they've had to overcome. That's what actually helps set us apart. It's not, I'm the best at this. I'm the best at that. It's like, this is who I am. And that's it. And then you actually, you're not like trying to find clients. You are magnetizing clients to you simply by standing in your authority. That makes sense. I love it. Absolutely love it. And there's an interesting thing that happens. I'm sure maybe some of your clients bring this up too, where they might think, okay, well, branding, marketing, showing up authentically, this is all great. Where do I niche? You know, you have an interesting one as a pianist who's also teaching people how to run their business and upgrade their business. They might be thinking to the, like, oh, I'm being too narrow or I'm being too broad. They might not know where to even start speaking to people, where to start reaching people. How do you advise people? How do you think about that whole niching process? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, we all know the riches are in the niches, right? It's good to niche. It's a good idea to niche. But here's the thing. Positioning is something that we can help shape, but also is something that is ultimately in the eyes of the consumer. Like our audience will be the ones that are really going to ultimately define our positioning and are going to associate us with a specific expertise, a specific thing that we can do for them, right? And so when you start thinking about the way you want to position yourself in the industry, the way you want to help people understand what you can do and how you can serve them, all you have to do is look at who has come to you already. Chances are most of the people who are listening to this, they are already sitting on a gold mine. Like they have the skills. People will have already come to them. If you can think about the last five years, has anyone come to you asking for any sort of advice ever? Most of the times when I ask people that question, they're like, oh yeah, actually, yeah. I just, people call me and they ask me about this or they ask me about that. And I just talk to them and just give them a free advice because I mean, I never thought that that's something I could actually charge for because it's come so naturally to me. That's it. It's that right there. The thing that comes so naturally to you, the thing that you take for granted, the thing that you don't even think about, like this could be, that's probably one of the things that you could charge the most for. 
because that means it's your zone of genius and it's things that already people are associating you with being an expert at, right? That's a great starting point. If anyone has come to you for anything ever, even without you asking for it and they just come to you for advice, that's a great starting point. Doesn't mean it has to be only that, but usually people have people that have come to them for something. And so it's about looking at your previous experiences, interactions with people, and then asking yourself, is this something that I could potentially formally turn into something rather than just casually giving advice on, can I maybe turn this into something that I could actually really serve people? Because even though you may have been very helpful in trying to give people advice and sharing things informally, you know that if you were to actually turn that into a real step-by-step program, curriculum, or service, chances are you would be able to help people much deeper, like at a much deeper level, help them achieve even greater transformation. So I always like starting with that in terms of like, you probably already have things that people have been coming to you for. And then the other way is if you don't have anyone who has ever come to you asking for advice, I like to tell our musicians that, you know, you can decide what you want to do. Like you don't need to just cater to what people want. There's a beautiful marriage of both. It's about you really deciding what excites you. What would you like to see different in the industry? Even thinking, are there any problems that you see right now in your industry that piss you off, that you're like, this shouldn't be, this is not okay. Or maybe have you had to deal with things that you wish someone would have told you, hey, don't do this, do this other thing. When you can find problems that you know are not yet being resolved, or maybe they are being resolved, but not in the right way, not in the way you think could be possible, that's another starting point. Look for problems. Have you had to deal with problems? Do you know people that are dealing with problems? Are people coming to you with problems? And then are you excited about the solution? Do you feel that you could help people? And the final starting point is like, talk to people. There's no quicker way to figure out how you can help people than by having actual conversations. You want to talk to people and ask, what do you want to achieve? What is your goal? What is standing in the way? And you can decide whether you have a way to help them or not. You may have some people that you're like, oh my gosh, I totally could help you with this. It's so exciting. And other people are like, nah, I don't think I want to help you with this. This isn't my thing. So there are many ways that we could find the answer to those questions. But the important thing is just to start with this belief that we have solutions. We have ways to help. Most of the times people get stuck in that initial stage of like, they think they don't have things that are valuable enough, or they're not worthy enough, or they need XYZ more degrees. So when you're able to overcome that initial hurdle, the sky's the limit. Yeah. And speaking of getting stuck, people also tend to get stuck with, especially running a business or being more public or helping people, they start to think of, okay, I don't have enough followers or I don't have enough you know, clout. I don't have enough influence or anything like that. And I found that success doesn't necessarily exist in the public numbers alone. It's not just the Twitter number of followers or the number of Instagram followers we have. You can make lots of money and not be even known on social media in a lot of cases. What do you say to that when it comes to being more public, being more known, but not worrying so much about those just public vanity metrics? The good news is that I started with no audience. I started my business, my online business with no following. I still don't think I have a huge audience, to be honest. I'm still getting there. And the good news is that one of the best ways that I propose musicians create businesses, build their brands, is through online uh, high-ticket programs. 
where they're able to package their skills and do it in a way where they're not exchanging time for money. They're building more leverage through their intellectual property and through a hybrid model where there's some components of pre-recorded content and there's some components of live interaction with your clients. And for you to sell high ticket, all you need is relationships. You need to activate your network. You need real human to human interactions. You don't need massive followings because most people are not necessarily going to be able to work with you in this way. And all you need is to connect with the right type of people who are most likely going to already be in your network, who already trust you. If you have all of a sudden a brand new amount of Twitter followers, it's likely they're not going to be trusting you enough to invest in a high ticket capacity. However, your existing network, people that have already been around you, even if it's just a few people, are most likely to become your quickest path to building your business because they already know you, they trust you, and there are ways where you can nurture people and help them realize the value of what you're doing without needing mass quantity of people. And it's just about deepening the relationships with the people you already have in your network. That's how I started my business. That's how I encourage my clients to start their businesses. You don't need a lot of contacts in order to do it. You just need to have clarity around what you want to do and who really needs it and literally get on calls with people and ask how you can help them. That's it. And that you can't do simply by having massive social media following. So it doesn't hurt to have a good audience. Obviously, it's a good idea if you do have one. It's not a bad thing, but it's not a necessary thing for you to grow your business. Mm-hmm. That, I'm sure that was relieving to a lot of people who are worried about all those metrics and growing the numbers. Love it. Now, when it comes to your students, what does success look like to them, whether it be on the musical side or the business side? And what's the most joy? Like, What are the biggest breakthroughs you see happening that make you like, yes, that's it. Now you see. So many. But I can tell you, it's not financial only. Even though a lot of what I focus on is on helping my clients build that prosperity, create that financial engine, really what they do at the end, and this is something that when I listen to like the testimonials and things that they leave after working with me, they all kind of say the same thing. (laughs) So I'm basically sharing with you what I hear them say, which is the fact that By winning back their time, by understanding how to better position themselves in the marketplace, by creating a way to bring in revenue without it depending only on the time they're sitting in a classroom or in a studio or doing the things or on stage, when they're able to to realize that money and wealth and prosperity is everywhere. It's abundant. It's not scarce. There's no limitations to it. It's all about the energy and strategy and the belief systems What this does is it liberates every other area of their lives, meaning they start strengthening their relationships, they strengthen their health, they strengthen their sense of connection with their families. It strengthens their self-esteem to be able to stand up for themselves. Like when I quit my job last year, one of my clients asked me like the next week, she just asked for a raise in her job. She just decided that she was going to stand up for herself and something that she had never done in her life, she would have never done before. But by seeing me take courageous steps and jump into the abyss and let go of any safety net, she took the same courageous step in her own way and decided to ask for a raise. You know what I mean? Things like that, that are all about empowering yourself to want more. I think that's one of the biggest things that through achieving financial breakthroughs, you know, I have clients who come into my program and they're able to have like 
$25,000 breakthroughs in three months, or they make six figures in six months, or they, you know, build businesses and do they do so many things? They start working with team members, they become CEOs. This is just a vehicle because ultimately what people really, really want and what makes life really makes sense at the end of the day, I found are the intangible benefits, not the tangible ones. It's not how much money you bring in, but what does this new found prosperity allow you to experience in your life? Especially being able to say no to the things that you don't want. A lot of my clients start and they have existing work situations or people in their life or whatever that they're just holding on to because they need to, not because they want to. And when you're able to make the switch to creating a life that you love, surrounding yourself by people and situations and environments that are truly fulfilling to you, that allow you to put your time and attention into what really matters in your life and not feel that you need to work harder to get better results. For me, that's the biggest transformation that we we help our clients achieve. And that's priceless, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now you have the remote business, it's running on its own, you have clients coming in, they're succeeding. What are you now focused on learning most of all now, just for yourself? Oh, absolutely. And this has been my journey in the last couple of years, let me tell you, which is why I decided to quit my job, really. For me, my greatest learning journey right now is to be able to align all the areas of my life. In other words, up until the last maybe three years or so, I was very career driven. You know, I was very focused on achieving as much success professionally as I could. That was my fuel. That was my like stimulation. You know what I mean? And certain parts of my life fell in the back burner. I wasn't practicing as much. I wasn't taking care of my health as much. I wasn't being able to really spend enough time with my children. I've got two boys, three-year-old and an almost an eight-year-old and my husband. Many areas of my life were out of alignment. And for the last two years, my intention has been, even if it meant slowing down a little bit on my professional accomplishments and things like that, my intention has been to try to live a life in alignment with all of these other areas that I had not paid enough attention to because I was so career driven. So for me, this is just, a, I think it's going to be a lifelong challenge. And incredibly enough, let me just tell you why, why I'm so excited about this is that I decided to slow things down and I was ready to take like a, a, a hit in terms of even the growth of my business. I was like, I don't care about any of this anymore. If it's costing me my health, if it's costing me my relationship, if it's costing me anything else, like my sleep, I don't care. I'm just going to care about making all of these fronts work together. And guess what happened with my business? I had been wanting to write a book for the last 10 years since I finished my doctorate. I could never get it done. I wrote it now. I just finished it a month ago. I mean, I have to now edit it and it's not yet ready for, for publishing, but I wrote the manual. It's like it's there. My health is like coming back. The business is growing. So actually, I felt like by me not pushing so much and deciding to say, no, I'm just going to let things roll on and not push. And I'm going to look at other areas of my life to make sure that everything else is in alignment. Everything started to grow much better and easier. Then when I was like, work, 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 and like burn myself out, you know? So it's almost like by stopping to push, things actually started to grow better, you know? So that's what I, has been a lesson for me in the last few years. And it's not something that I can say I've achieved balance. I don't know that that's ever possible, but I do know that I'm now a different person and that I'm not allowing myself 
to just be okay with professional accomplishments anymore. Like that doesn't cut it for me. Everything that I accomplish in my career, when I have a successful launch, anything that is like what I would used to have defined as success, I always go back and say, well, how did I take care of myself while I was preparing for this project? Was I sleeping? Was I eating right? Was I exercising? And those are now my new markers of what really I want to celebrate. Yes, I can celebrate having a great business, whatever, or launch and new clients. And I always am grateful for that. But then if I look back at my sleeping habits or my eating habits or, or my kids are like, where's my mom? Right. Then I'm like, then, then I want to be able to celebrate all those things at the same time for me. It's not enough just to have professional success. So that is my most recent quest, I would say in the last few years. And one that keeps me really accountable to myself and to my clients, because honestly, that's what drives my clients to want to do what they're doing too. So I feel that by me kind of modeling this value system and this desire to be in alignment as much as possible. And don't get me wrong, there are days where like all of that falls off the wagon and I'm just like, oh gosh, I'm falling <laughs> back into my old habits. Ooh, you know, it's hard because it's a whole life of being this overachiever type A person. It's like, I need to rewire my brain. So I'm in this process of kind of rewiring myself, but I mean, I enjoy it because my kids are seeing that, you know, and I want to model to them what it's like to be able to live your life on your own terms and to be a hundred percent owner of your outcomes, meaning not blaming, oh, I just have a lot of work or I can't do this. Or I was just like, oh, something is like, no, like there's no excuse that there's no excuse. Like if you decide not to work out today because you wanted to crunch whatever and do this thing, that's fine but don't blame it on this thing. It's your choice. It's your decision. If you are just running around and having five minute lunches, like I've done many, many times, you're just swallowing your food before your next appointment. That's your decision. Like no one is making you do that. You can choose to block out your time, like things like that. You know, if you're not sleeping enough, no one is forcing you to do that. Having this attitude and perspective of hundred percent ownership of my life in every area, whether I like it or not, even as it relates to working with my team and building my team, becoming a leader, becoming a CEO. When I look at the way my team performs for me, the things that they do, anything that they're falling short of my expectations, I don't point fingers. I look at myself in the mirror. What have I done? How can I make things better for my team to get them to have better results? Like just this attitude of full and complete ownership. I think this is very important. Awesome. What a beautiful set of statements and a beautiful way to start wrapping up. So one last question before we finish up for today is where can people find you? Plug anything and everything, maybe even share the book, anything like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have a lot of online content that I share and I have a website, a Facebook group, but I would love to invite anyone who's listening. If you're wondering, you know, how do you go about packaging your skills in this way and building this type of online brand? Because I realize. We've spoken a lot about the idea behind doing this, but not so much on the tactical level and the actual step-by-step. -step. So if anyone listening is wondering, like, how do I even start doing this? I have a free training that I think your listeners may enjoy. I'll show you the 10 steps to actually packaging your skills into your own musician's profit umbrella. Uh, and I have a handout that you can fill it out and just follow along in the training. I think your listeners would love that so that they can get an initial start on creating their own online presence and packaging all of their different skill sets into an offer. So you can go to fabianaclore.com forward slash gift. My name is a little tricky to spell, so I'm just going to spell it out. It's F-A-B-I-A-N-A-C-L-A-U-R-E. That's fabianaclore.com 
forward slash gift and check it out. And I would love to be able to share with you that training and seeing, you know, what comes out of it, hearing from you to see how that helped you start this process. Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I think people are going to get some incredible insights from this. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And I think you're doing a fantastic job with your podcast. I think it's a very important conversation. Musicians and creatives need to know about the possibilities uh, and that it is possible to do everything that you want in life, whether it's creative or non-creative. And I think having this platform is is very important for our industry. So I think you're doing a fantastic job. Kudos to you too for, for hosting this space for all of us to be able to share. Thank you. So kind. That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening as always. And considering I work in the world of video game, music, and sound, and so many people are always asking me how they break into that field, I have a newsletter set up for you. So if you want to learn how to make music and sound effects for video games and actually be paid to do it, just go to bit.ly forward slash soundbizpod. Sound, B-I-Z, pod. And that newsletter will set you up with two free courses and a bunch of free ebooks and even sound effects. They'll get you set up and teach you how to work in the world of video game music and sound. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. And if you're looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to, this podcast is actually a part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. So if you want to check those out, hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.